Over this topic, I'm really delighted to be chatting with Dr. Andrew Adler, who's a licensed psychologist and the director of the Adler Family Center here in Hong Kong. Uh, welcome on the program, Dr. Adler. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Noreen, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So um, we're also live on Facebook as well. So I'd love for our listeners to join us there. Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. Such a timely topic also historically, too, in that I think parents in particular and students, too, are experiencing increasing pressure academically, not just in Hong Kong, but throughout the world in what seems to be an increasingly competitive world out there. So, yes, it is very timely in many respects. So, sorry you know, about parents. that. We're, we're having some sort of audio problem. So we've got oh, some okay. tech guys coming. No, 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 okay. no. It's just unfortunate. Um, the, the, the sound is coming out as, as mono, but it's okay. I, I think for all purposes, I think our listeners are still able to hear. Um, I might have to boost it up a little bit. Um, so perhaps um, I, I wanted to back up a, a little bit, Dr. Adler. Now, um, earlier this month, the Hong Kong uh, Institute of Family Education um, re- released mm-hmm. a survey after surveying more more than a thousand parents of school children calling for parents to pay more attention to uh, the children's emotional uh, needs rather than just focusing on academic results. Um, can you sort of uh, explain a little bit more what we mean when we're talking about this social and emotional development of a child? So these are really important areas. Really, actually, schools should be playing, as well as parents, playing a strong role in any child's, and I mean of any age, their social emotional development as much as they emphasis as they place on academics. It should be, I shouldn't say it should be 50, but there should be quite a strong emphasis on social emotional development. So what, just to define what those mean briefly. So social development at a more basic level is basically how we deal with different social situations that come up. Now, obviously, there's some very basic things like greeting other people, but it goes much deeper than that. Really, one of the important things we learn as children, and hopefully we continue learning throughout our entire life, is to be able to be able to hear what other people are saying, being able to show that we're hearing what other people are saying, both with words and through our facial expressions and other body language, and appreciate other people's interests. Now, for children, younger children, that would be often through play. So young children learn how to play with other kids, showing interest in what other kids do. For older kids and then for teenagers, and of course as adults, we use language, much spoken language much more, and we want to show interest in what other people are interested in. That's one aspect. Another area that's also very important is to be able to engage in what we call reciprocal communication, to be able to go back and forth in conversation. Now, for young children, that would be able to means going back and forth in terms of play, being able to, I'd say you're building a tower out of blocks. So one child puts a block here, the next child, the other child puts one on top of the other, 
and then one on top of the other. So that's, we call that cooperative play, and that's interactive. And it's also showing an interest in what the first child initiated. For older children, teenagers, and adults, that would be being able to respond well and go back and forth in conversation with another person. Very hard, and that can be a challenge to many children. And I think probably made also worse, we can go into another whole topic around what's happened with COVID, but the social isolation with that, I think, has made that difficult for a I lot think, of people. I think I... you're so right in pointing that out. I think a lot of the times that time was sort of spent at home and there wasn't so much interaction with their peers. And I think then, since then, teachers have sort of noted that many students um, sort of lag behind in terms of um, interaction with their peers. I mean, I have clients telling me I wish I could wear my mask all day. I wish I could bring Stop my mask to now. school. Sometimes that if you do that, um, oh. usually teachers encourage them to take it off. But see, I wish I could wear it all day. I'm not comfortable interacting with others. Even in basic interactions, but certainly in the back and forth kind of conversation that I just mentioned. We also have emotional development. And that includes many skills. It means recognizing one's own feelings, the feelings of others, being able to respond to the feelings of others, and perhaps, I don't say most importantly, but of great importance is to be able to calm down oneself in a situation when one feels frustrated, sad, or angry. Now, of course, there's a relationship between social and emotional development. We need to be able to control how we express our frustration we need to be able to control how we express our frustration when we're with other people if we're going to make friends and people are going to talk with us. They're not going to talk to us if we're overly angry, for example. At the same time, we also need to be able to socialize to be able to learn how to express our feelings and read the feelings of others. So that's just an overview of social emotional development. So there is a connection between the two that I think we need to recognize. Let's talk about some ways that parents can support this. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, I was gonna continue, but maybe let's talk, but I'll, I'll let you start first, yeah. yeah. Now, not to put the onus only on parents, but parents are the most important teachers. That's, and when I talk to lots and lots of teachers, they tell me it really, you know, they're, they're not, these are excellent teachers in schools. But they say parents really play the biggest role. And the way we can do that most effectively, and there is research to back this up, that parents can teach by being excellent role models, not perfect role models. We'll get to that in a moment. We don't need to be perfect, but what we do, kids pick up on very easily. So, um, And so if parents as, aren't able to regulate their own emotions, we're not saying that they're to blame, but chances are if you're mo not modeling that behavior for the children, then children won't be able to regulate their emotions as well. Absolutely correct, Noreen. And in fact, being able to show that you can, say, parents being able to show they can disagree with each other without arguing is a wonderful way of showing a child that people don't have to agree, but they don't have to get ang become angry about it, whatever the, the, the issue is. You don't need to be perfect as parents. And research shows that actually the imperfect role model, the, the role model like parent who's imperfect, 
is actually the best role model. And the, the thought behind that is that someone who's imperfect is more relatable to another person. So if we're imperfect, everybody's imperfect, of course. And if the role model is imperfect, that person actually has a greater influence. Is that person can be related to by a child there. That's really good to know <laughs> that you don't have to sort of be always perfect in, in front of them. In fact, they can often learn from our own mistakes. And as long as we own up to it sometimes as well, and it's, you know, you put your hand up and say, mommy wasn't perfect just now and I could have responded better um, and this is what I should have done. Um, but it's okay to be angry sometimes, but we don't do so by yelling. Um, and I think that's sort of important to, to let the child and, and set the boundaries for children, because I think quite often um, children maybe crave the boundaries that's not being, I, I mean, I, I notice different types of parenting, but ones that sort of, mm. you know, it's good to have these emotions, but sometimes some parents just let those emotions run wild. Um, and that's not so healthy for, for the children as well. It's good to have emotions, but it's not okay right. to then behave, you know, you know um, it's not okay to then kick your brother just because you're angry. And not, I'm not saying that husbands and wives are kicking each other, obviously. <laughs> yes, okay. but, but to be able to even argue in a way that is thoughtful and constructive without the emotions becoming so strong, that is so critical. Again, you don't have to be perfect. Emotions will get out of control and will get out of control sometimes. But to be able to argue in a way that's thoughtful and constructive is, is absolutely wonderful for parents to do that. If you do that some of the time, you're doing well as parents. Thank and you. I think that's that has too. a great impact on children. Let's talk a little bit more about um, this focus on academic results. Um, what impact does that have? Um, Hong Kong is a very sort of uh, results-driven city, and I think that's sort of <laughs> seen even with our children, and that academic results are often placed uh, in, in sort of a, a really high position when it comes to um, parents and children's relationship. Um, so what impact does that have when parents sort of over-focus on academic results? Um, I think it can have significant, I mean, it depends on the child, of course, but I think it potentially can have significant detrimental effects for children. I think we know, we know that children need a balanced life. They need to be able to focus on academics. They need to be able to, if they're interested in sports, other hobbies, other activities, let's say theater, for example, develop friendships and other relationships and spend time with their families as well. There's a lot that children benefit from and academics, I won't say is unimportant, but it's only one part of it. And I think it's very hard, and I know this as a parent myself, it's very, very easy to slip into focusing on, to have almost a hyper-focus on academic performance. Even though we intellectually know better, we slip into that. And I, that is such a difficult thing to do. What I have found, and again, I practice this myself, and I'm, I'm not perfect as a parent. Ask my two, my 20 and 22-year-old daughters. They'll tell you much more if they were on this show. Um, that the parents who do well, and I, a lot of this I learned from my clients, parents who know that they're imperfect, but are aware of what they do. 
and what they do has an impact on their children. And they're aware that they need to find this balance that I spoke about a moment ago, that academics, of course, are, are going to be important, but so are other activities. And I should also add, as part of that, overall social emotional development, as we talked about earlier. So doing all these various things should help in the service of developing oneself socially and emotionally. So if you have a variety of experiences, especially socially in, in different kinds of settings, that will help you develop into a more socially competent human being. So parents I work with, again, you know, they often struggle with these kinds of issues. The parents who are successful are able to be aware of what they're doing and catch themselves and also be humble, be humble, to acknowledge to their children that they make mistakes. Now, it might, might do this with a three-year-old, although you can, but certainly when children reach school age, to be able to say, I'm sorry, you know, mommy made a mistake or daddy made a mistake. I made a mistake in, 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 in saying, oh, why didn't you finish all your homework? And I know you had a lot of homework. I, probably, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's, again, you think about the idea of being a good role model. You're showing that, that you can make mistakes and that you can own up to them and apologize. Yeah. Time really flies. We've only got a couple of minutes before the news. Um, we, we haven't even touched on burnout and, and what that looks like for children. Maybe we can sort of um, um, talk. Very quickly. Yeah, very talk quickly about talk that. about that. Yeah. Sure. Okay so, okay. so burnout in children does look somewhat similar to those in adults, just very briefly. So burnout would involve emotional, physical, mental exhaustion, um, worrying all the time, difficulty with sleeping, uh, trouble with memory and poor school performance. It doesn't have to be all those symptoms, but it, it often includes a lot of those. Now, people might say, well, this is kind of like depression. Yes, it is kind of like depression, but usually the distinction we make is that burnout is shorter term. It's more of a state rather than a condition. Okay, so burnout is actually not a diagnosis, but if you don't address it early enough, it can lead to things like depression and anxiety. Well, we've only got time uh, until now. I'm really sorry about that, Dr. Adler. Um, I apologize for the earlier audio issues as well. You That's really okay. I understand. We had all the technicians, as people probably saw on our Facebook Live, two yes. wonderful gentlemen helping us sort it out. Um, we got there in the end. I'd love to have you back another time, and we'll talk a little bit cool. more about um, sort of, you know, what's it like to not have these sort of expectations and to really help um, support our children uh, in, in a better way. Meanwhile, thank you so so much for your time this morning, Dr. Andrew Adler, who's a licensed psychologist and the director of the Adler Family Center here in Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much, Noreen. Take care.